Kerry, welcome to Late Nights on Cape Talk. Thank you so much for joining us for Book Club. Thank you very much for having me. It's a delight to be here. It's lovely to have you in studio, live and everything. Uh, yes, live. <laughs> alive <laughs> and live, which is good. So we're talking about uh, your latest book, which is called Secret Keeper. And I've never done, um, we've never had a poetry, a purely poetry book okay. on Book Club before. Uh, so this is actually lovely. Great. To, to do this. I'm glad that I'm the first. You are the first. You are the first, but hopefully not the last. Now, this is your third published poetry book it is um but you also wrote a self-help book i did called sugar free sugar free what was that about why do i not know about this um because it's about being sugar free so it was a book written a few years ago with uh karen thompson um and it's about leading a sugar-free life and it's about giving up your addiction to sugar which is a difficult How thing to do. How have I not read this? Because that is very much... Um, it's It has morphed the book itself a little bit. Um, and it was published overseas under Corin's name exclusively. And I think that it's now being promoted here in South Africa under that. So it would be under her name as opposed to, to me. I just get acknowledged for my contribution for that. Oh, okay. Is it? Do you think it's going to see a resurgence? What with the whole banting story, and because I know so many people that are going sugar free, I'm trying to do it now. Going sugar free is a hard thing, and I have, and I, I mean, I admit it very clearly in the book that I am a sugar addict, mm. and I'm going through a phase now where I'm really struggling with it again. It's one of the things that, for me, comes and goes. Mm-hmm. And I think so, but I think there's a, a since we wrote the book, and there's a lot of new thoughts around eating and around addiction, and around um, giving up sugar and carbs. There's a lot of new stuff around fasting. Mm. Um, you know, the, I think the eight five principle they call it, and a lot of um, new ways of eating. They say only eat for eight hours in a day, and the rest of the time you shouldn't be eating at all. Only eat three meals a day. Don't snack in between. So there's a lot of new thoughts that are, that are coming into it, mm, mm. and I think that will start to bring a whole lot of strands together. One of the other things that I do is I follow an autoimmune protocol because I do have autoimmune flare-ups and joint problems and things like that. Um, that kinds of adds a layer another of complexity because you're giving up things like eggs and avo. Oh, okay. I can't do that because no, I'm no. banting fully. Yes. So that I'm literally yes. am living on eggs and ever. Yes, yes. And yeah. intend to for a very long time. Yeah. But the sugar for me, I have to say, the only sanity that I've ever had around food has been when I've when I've put the sugar down. Yes, and increase your fats. And increase my fats. Yes, and give up the refined grains. And No, absolutely. Yeah. And then your head's clearer. My head is clearer. I sleep better. Yes. I'm not bloated. I'm, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm an advocate of the sugar-free. But as you say, it's really tough. Yeah. It's really, yeah. And I, I have to say, actually, today, I really, really felt it. I really felt it. There were some hot cross buns on the side. And it was like, it was torturous. Yeah. And I just had to leave the house because yes. I just thought this yeah. is... I'm compelled. And also, I'm I'm sugar-free now for about a month. Um, and it comes in waves. The yes. first two weeks are hideous, and I felt dreadful and yes. had, had headaches yeah. and all the rest of it. But now, because I'm also an emotional eater, yes. uh, 
things trigger and it's almost like something goes off in my body something happens and it goes sugar sugar now now we need the sugar and it's like it's having to tell my body we don't need the sugar and mm. we don't need to eat and we mm. just have to ride through the feelings no, absolutely but mm. it's like any addiction you have to work with those feelings and you have to find other things um to either substitute or substitutes a wrong word mm. but 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 to deal with those feelings you know yeah. you talked about spinning classes just now before mm. we came on air mm. going to exercise going for a walk going to the beach looking at the sea hearing the waves all of those things yeah i need to get myself a copy of this book sugar free yes. or sake free <laughs> I won't won't be reading that version, it has to be said. Jonathan Ball, 2015, it tells me here. Yes. Uh, but your name's not on it, so who should we be looking out for then? So um, my my name is on, on the first version. Okay. Um, and I do think there are some bargain books that still have some copies of that version. Otherwise, Corin Thompson re-released it via Browns in the UK. Oh, okay. Um, and it's distributed by Jonathan Ball here. Okay, I need to I need to find that. That might save me through the next six months of, <laughs> of my sugar-free, although potentially further than that. Uh, the other thing that I didn't know about you, and I don't know why I necessarily would, we don't, you have, we, you know, we don't talk every day, uh, is that you have an MA in creative writing. I do. Which doesn't come as a massive surprise, it has to be said, having listened to your work and read the book. Thank you. Thank you. I came to taking my poetry seriously quite late in my life. And I felt that I'd missed out on a lot, a lot of development, a lot of interaction with other poets. And so in my 30s, I decided to take my poetry poetry seriously. And um, then a number of years later, I did my MA. And I graduated in 2016, which is very recent. That's very recent. Yes. Yeah. How was I've often thought about doing an MA in creative writing. I, I thought that is something that I would I would love to do. Yeah. I did it at Rhodes, mm. which has a very different approach to a university like UCT or UWC. It's very course based. So what they do is they bring in active writers who lecture, give a seminar, and then the students have to respond to uh, an assignment that the that lecturer has put out. And if you're doing it full time for the first, that's what you do for the first six months. And in the last six months, you then write your thesis and your thesis is, is, is a, a book, is a book. And it's not a full book because it's only an MA. So I submitted 35 poems and I did it part time. So it was over two years. Mm. And in that time, I wrote over 70 poems. So a lot of them rejected. <laughs> <laughs> Are any of them in here? It's mostly my MA thesis. Is it? Yes. Okay. Yes. When I completed my MA thesis, um, Robert Berold, who a lot of poetry lovers will know, was my supervisor. He very kindly worked with me afterwards to get this book to publication. And I added in poems that I'd written before my MA and poems that I'd written after my MA into into this. But it is mostly the MA. I'm always thesis. really intrigued when people do uh, either de- you know degrees in creative writing or MAs in creative writing. In terms of how do you grade, how do you grade somebody's poetry? Because what I think is wonderful, mm. somebody else might think is dreadful. And, and similarly, in terms of, I mean, a, a book is slightly different, um, but but only marginally. Only marginally. I do have to say I did get a distinction. That's what it says here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I feel like I'm playing my own horn a little bit. No, you have to play. That's why you're here. 
Blow but it, away. But it is subjective. I do agree with you. Um, the way that they have external examiners and they're um, international examiners. So you're not examined by South African um, universities. You are partly, but it is um, mostly overseas examination. And so it's a huge accolade, I think, to get a distinction. Mm. And and I agree, it is subjective. And what was interesting, you get examiner's reports back on your on your thesis. And what that one examiner really loved, the other examiner didn't like at all. Really? Yeah. So. I don't know if I could handle that level of, <laughs> of uh, differential. I think when you're working with your own poetry and your own work and you're reading other poetry, you start to get a very clear sense of what works and what doesn't. Mm. Um, and I think because I'd worked with Robert um, for intensely um, for a year on my work, I've got much better at understanding that. And so I was able to take those examiner's reports and see where they were coming from mm. and adapt some of the things that they said. But other things I could look at it and say, well... That's their opinion. I don't agree with it. When did you first find your poet's voice? When I was eight years old. Really? Yes. It's a disputed fact in our family. Right. But um, our school magazine asked for submissions. And I remember this very clearly, skipping down the road, making up a poem in my head. And I firmly believe it was published in the school magazine. Nobody in my family can corroborate that. Right. There's no record <laughs> There's of this. No record. Sure. <laughs> but I firmly believe that. Um, and then I, in my teenage years, I started keeping a journal, which I kind of kept in kind of typical teenage poetry form. And Was it I, quite angsty? It was very angsty. Yeah. <laughs> I still have them. Um, yes. <laughs> Do you ever read them? I haven't read those ones for a very long time, but I've read some of the later ones. Mm. And then um, I was living in London, and um, London has what was called at the time the London Poetry School. It's now called Poetry School. And on the tube, there were the, the adverts, London Poetry School courses, and I said to myself, oh, you don't start to take your poetry seriously now, you never will. Mm. And I did a whole year's course with them. And came back to Cape Town and found a great poetry teacher, Fanula Darling, and joined her workshops. And here I am, three books later. Is Fanula in Musenberg? She is now, yes. Yes, now, yes. now yeah, yeah. yeah. When you say poetry teacher, how does one teach poetry? Through your own sense of what good poetry is. Mm. So directing students or poets to things to read and giving them prompts write about cricket write about (laughs) (laughs) sitting sitting in a studio (laughs) talking to Sarah Jane Mm. and then and then giving you some feedback on that Okay. now we first met at um, our mutual friend Melinda Ferguson's house um, more than a year ago, probably? Yes. Yeah, more yes. than a year ago. We, yeah. were, we were both doing uh, one of Melinda's workshops, which you will remember if you were listening uh, on, uh, gosh, when did when did she come in? Wednesday or Thursday, uh, Melinda was talking to, to us about her writing workshops and her online course. Um, and we met there, and, and I listened to some of your poetry or writing. I don't, I don't know if to call it poetry at that point would be necessarily fair. Prose. Yes. Prose. Yes. And from 
the little that I knew of you, some of the stuff that was coming out of your pen, I was quite um, I was quite shocked by. You were talking about sex and things. Oh, no. Yes, true, true. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking, gosh, that that was unexpected. And there's quite a bit of it in here as well. Yes, there is. My first collection has much more of it in it. Right. Um, What's that one called? These are the lies I told you. These are the lies I told you. There's more sex in that one. There is. <laughs> You're making me blush. I'm getting hot. <laughs> so nothing's off limits then when it comes to poetry. No, there, there, there is. And I'm going to read you a really lovely quote from Audre Lorde, who is an, uh, an American um, woman poet. My work is to inhabit the silences with which I have lived and fill them with myself until they have the sounds of the brightest day and the loudest thunder. I'm learning to speak my pieces, to inject into the living world my convictions of what is necessary and what I think important without concern for whether it is understood, tolerated, correct or heard before. Mm. And I read that this weekend and I thought, that's exactly what's important to me. Mm. I write things that are kind of taboo subjects, things that other people wouldn't write about. Yeah. And I have a very direct voice. Yes. <laughs> and I sometimes wish I didn't because I read other poetry that's a little bit more lyrical, softer, gentler, and I wish I could write like that. But then that's not my voice. No. So I read those poets and enjoy them and then go back to writing in my direct way. Yeah, no, I love it. If you are just joining us, uh, I'm joined in studio by Kerry Hamilton. Uh, with, and we're talking about her latest poetry book, uh, which is called Secret Keeper. Uh, and uh, the launch of that actually is happening this week at the Book Lounge on Wednesday. Yes. At 5 5.30. 5.30. Yes. Yeah. 5.30 for 6. 5.30 for 6. Who are you in conversation with? With Fanula Darling, which oh, I'm very okay, excited lovely. about. Yeah. yeah. She has been at all my book, poetry book launches, which has been great. So it's become a bit of a tradition. And she always asks the most interesting questions. Mm. And because she's a poet herself, she understands the work and she understands where I'm coming from. And that's yeah. really great. Talk to me a little bit about the the process of of writing poetry because I, I'm I'm not a poet, um, and I've I have written poetry in the past, but largely under instruction, um, and at school. Um, yes. But I like to think that my writing is quite poetic, um, even though it's not poetry. Yes. Um, talk to me about, for example. The, the way that you would write a poem, how do you know, this is going to sound very strange, but how do you know when to stop? It's something you learn very quickly because you can, you can write and write a poem and then write too much into it. Mm. And it's something you learn very quickly um, where a poem needs to end. Um, it just comes from reading and it comes from people giving you feedback on your poetry. The poetry writing process for me happens in a very strange way. I will be thinking about something. I would have read something. That, you know, there's a line. And I'll be thinking about that. And I'll be thinking about, I'd really like to write a poem about that. But the way into the poem is not always clear. Mm. But there's that idea and it's sitting there. And then and then something else will come along. I, I don't know. It could be anything. I could see something on the news. I could, could hear something on Cape Talk. And I think, yes, that's it. And those two things come together and create a poem. 
Um, I'll give you an example. Um, I wrote a, bo- a poem about um, Penelope, um, Odysseus's wife, mm. with the loom. And I'd had the idea of writing that poem for a very, very long time. And I couldn't ever find my way into it. And then I was reading about her again and was talking about her maids and how the maids um, had, when Odysseus wasn't there and the maids were, were doing something, and I thought, yes, that's it. She she had a lesbian relationship with one of the maids. And then that made the story for me. Wow. And then I created the poem. Hmm. Yeah. What my my learning of poetry and and my experience of poetry again largely at at school, yes. um and and because a, a lot of what we were reading I didn't understand yes um because that tends to be the nature of a lot of poetry I remember we we read a lot of war poetry which actually I loved um but but other poetry and we would have to um, answer questions on it and I would be absolutely stumped because I'd think. I don't know what this means. I I don't, you know, what is what is the poet inferring here? I've got no idea. I don't know. And that I think always led me to a belief that poetry should be um, abstract, incomprehensible. That you had to be on this sort of other plane of understanding in order to really appreciate yeah. poetry. And of course, now I know that that's that's utter nonsense. Um, and I and I think it's like art. I know I may not be an expert in poetry, but I know what I like, and yes. that's the same with with art. I'm certainly not an expert in art, but I know what I like. Yes, I do think that a lot of people have put off poetry from school. Mm. I started loving poetry when I was in my last two years of school. I love the detailed analysis, and I know it sounds weird because a lot of people don't like that. But it felt to me all of a sudden that poetry was another language. Mm. It had a mathematical language of its own. The two subjects that I was good at at school were maths and English. Sure. And so to have poetry, it was it was just another layer and it was different meanings and you could put words together and and the equation would look completely different, you know. So for me, that was the time when I started to love poetry and maybe it was the great teachers I had. But I also don't like those poems that are obscure and don't don't give you a way into them. Don't mm, give you anything to that, identify. Exactly, exactly. With them. that was yeah. yeah, not having a way into. Yeah. Um, and I always felt that there was a right answer, but I didn't know what that right answer was. Um, do, do you know what I mean? Whereas, yeah. whereas now, uh, things that I've read, like I, I love, uh, I love Maya Angelou stuff, and and that I'm okay with sometimes not knowing exactly what she's talking mm. about, but largely I do, and yes. and, and that's that's fine. Yeah. Um, can we read some? Yes. Do you have anything selected that you want to? No, no, I was too scared to select anything. Why? In ca- well, in case it wasn't appropriate. Every, everything's appropriate because we're on so late. <laughs> okay. So there's, there's, it's pretty much anything goes. Tell me what um, your favourite was. Now, I think it, was it this one? Yes, it is, it is a bit, it's page 44 where it starts. It is a bit, um, but that's fine. I like the ones because I because knowing a little bit about you, I like the ones where you're writing about a hymn. Okay. I just I'm because I'm intrigued by the hymn and you. Okay, I'll I'll read that, but but I think I'd also like to to read things I keep from my mother. I love that one also. Yeah, I love that one also. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's read where it starts. It cannot start with him locking the door. Or his words. It starts with a gift 
of chocolates, a bottle of red wine. Or maybe with a telephone call he's coming into town. It doesn't start with the hard press of his chest against my breasts, his hand gripping my wrists. It cannot start with a bed that wasn't my own. It doesn't start with his teeth rough on my nipples. It has to start with something far away. Me stumbling out of a smoky party and him leaning against a car on the street talking on his phone. He knew my name. His words, so we are alone, finally, then locking the door. But we are not there yet. We had lunch once, coffee a few times, once a walk on the mountain, a gift of pens. We had a drink at the party. He knew my name. He called to hear my voice once. Then he was coming into town again. It's a crowd, he said, a house on the beach, a weekend away. I said no. He called again, again, again. I went for one night. It never happens to someone like me, this dismantling of all refusals. It could never have started on a Sunday when everyone has gone home or is asleep in the afternoon sun. It could not start with a locked door or alone, finally. I never said yes. Mm. I love that one. Do you remember that I wrote a... <laughs> did you, do you remember that I wrote a thing about you? Do you have any memory of yes, that? Yes, I do, because, because we had to swap prompts. We had yeah, to swap lines we had to or swap something. lines. Yes. And yes. and I wrote a thing, and I wish I, I wish I'd brought it now because it's still in my it's still in my writing my writing book, um, yeah about Kerry. Yes, I do. You had a very, that actually you wrote a very good piece, and it had a very it had a very great voice because it wasn't your normal memoir style. Yeah, because you were in the middle of writing your memoir. Yeah, and it was just this this fantasy piece. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I must read that when I get home, because I because I remember kind of t- thinking, I'm going to take Kerry and make her something else. But actually, I don't think it was that far from who you are. Anyway, let's. <laughs> the one thing about poetry, it's not always nonfiction. There is creative yeah. writing in this. Mm. Mm. Things I keep from my mother. When I lost my virginity, who with? How that nice boy, the one she liked, wasn't nice behind closed doors. And other things I couldn't even tell my friends. When I look at my hands, I see her aging hands. Her drawn-in lips remind me of her mother's aged lips. But these are things I do not tell her. There is much my mother doesn't know. How many lovers I've had. Why I live so far from, away from home. How often despair rises in me. Yeah, I relate to that one. Mm. Listen, will you ever write a, a book? A book a book, book. book. A book book. <laughs> I, I, I am actually in the middle of writing a sort of book book. Tell me more about this book book. So this book book, I'm actually doing my PhD in creative writing. I do have to slide that one in now as well. Um, I'm working with a very talented um, 
writer and academic Quibus Mulman, which mm. I'm very excited about. And I'm writing a kind of multi-layered piece. My emphasis in my thesis is around middle age and aging women. Mm. Because there's an expectation on women in society about how you are, how you look, how you behave, how, what you say to people. And then once you middle age, that starts to change. Mm. There's an expectation that you should be a mother and a wife and look after the house. And even if you have a full-time job, you should be doing all of those other things as well. Mm. And so I want to look at writing a book that explores middle age and aging women and explore some of those issues and ideas. But fic- a fiction? A fiction, mm. yes. Mm. Yeah. When might we be seeing that? Well, it's going to take me two years to write, so <laughs> wait for it. So wait for it, wait yes. for it. Yeah. Uh, the current book is called Secret Keeper, and uh, please do come along to the uh, launch of The Secret Keeper, which is this Wednesday at the Book Lounge in town at 5.30, uh, when um, Kerry will be in conversation with Vanilla Darling. And I am, I'm thrilled that, this is, that I have this in my grubby little paws. Um, all the very best of luck with it. Thank you. And thank you for coming in. Thank you very much for inviting me.